new series as we've been announcing. Uh, so turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John 17. We're going to spend the next uh, 10 weeks or so right here in this one chapter. So uh, the greatest preparation you could do would be to read and to pray through this passage of Scripture each week and uh, just ask the Lord to speak through myself, through Brother Neil, as we bring these messages, as we prepare these messages. You know, all of the Bible is the Word of God. And, uh, you know, I know we all have uh, passages of Scripture that we consider favorite passages, uh, those that we might say are not so much our favorite, uh, but all of it is God's Word. All of it is, is important. That's why we seek to do what we do here, preach expository messages through the Bible, through the books of the Bible, taking a text and carefully working through it. But as we approach John 17, this, this prayer of Jesus has been called uh, traditionally the high priestly prayer uh, of Jesus. And uh, I want you to know that it is literally a prayer that Jesus expresses to his Father in heaven. Uh, this, again, inter-Trinitary prayer. It's really quite remarkable if we just begin to, to think about it, that this is God the Son crying out to God the Father. Uh, Right there, we, we begin to see the difficulty uh, of, of preaching through a text like this and doing it the justice that, that needs to be done. Uh, and, and so again, I, I would just reemphasize, please pray for me, for Brother Neil, uh, that we can convey these messages in such a way that all of us will be encouraged, instructed, challenged, um, that God's meaning will be clear to us, and uh, that we can walk away from these next 10 weeks uh, truly having met with the Lord. Uh, and, and it'll change our lives moving forward after that 10 weeks. This, this passage of Scripture, the chapter, John 17, is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible. Uh, you know, in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11, there are passages of Scripture that are uh, titled, probably there's a title in your, in your Bible that says, The Lord's Prayer. But both of those prayers are the response of Jesus when his disciples ask him, teach us to pray. So he is, in those passages of scripture, he is teaching. He voices these prayers. When you pray, pray like this. And then he begins, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And right on down through those, through those prayers that we are all so familiar with. But this, John 17, is truly a prayer. Of Jesus. These are words that he himself spoke to his heavenly father just hours before his betrayal, his arrest, his, his crucifixion. I believe they're truly uh, the Lord's prayer. Uh, and so we're going to get to listen uh, as God the Son voices this prayer to God the Father just hours before he would suffer and die for us on the cross. And of course, that makes this prayer, just when you, when you set it in its proper context, uh, they had concluded 
that last supper, that Lord's Supper in the upper room, uh, there's always debate about when Jesus officially voiced this prayer, whether it was the last thing that he did in the upper room or whether he voiced this prayer as they headed off walking toward uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. They had to cross over the Kidron Brook. Uh, and, and so there's debate. It doesn't really matter when Jesus voiced this prayer. The fact is that he did. Uh, and, and we will draw such encouragement, I hope, as we work our way through uh, this wonderful passage uh, of Scripture. Uh, I've entitled this message, Prevailing Through Prayer. And I, and I, I did that because in these first couple of verses that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is pleading with his Father to help him accomplish the great work of redemption that God sent him here to accomplish. And of course, the, 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 the first thought that ought to go through our minds is this, is, is if Jesus, the Son of God, is crying out to God the Father to help him, to sustain him, to strengthen him in order that he might accomplish the great task that God the Father sent him here to accomplish, how much more should we be in prayer before our Heavenly Father asking him to strengthen us to the task that he has given to us. Uh, we're going to see Jesus pray for himself. Uh, he's going to pray for his disciples. He's going to pray for those who will ultimately be saved through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, and, and I believe that what we're really going to learn, as much as learning about prayer and how to pray, we're going to learn something about the heart of our Father. Uh, that's really what I hope that you will learn this morning and through the duration uh, of this series of messages. We're going to hear Christ as he cries out to God the Father for that which he truly desires. We're going we're to hear him express the desires of his heart. Uh, and he's going to pray, of course, in behalf of those that he truly loves. Uh, and so, yes, if we listen carefully, I believe we'll learn something about prayer, about how to pray. Uh, but we're going to learn even more, I believe, about the heart of our God, just who our God is, what our God is like. So Jesus cries out to the Father uh, for help, for encouragement, for strength. Uh, he knows what lies ahead of him. Again, uh, that's what we need to keep in mind. This is God the Son uh, crying out to God the Father. Jesus knows what is ahead of him. He knows what awaits him as he crosses the Kidron Brook and heads into the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what awaits him. Uh, and he prays in spite of knowing the difficulties that lie ahead. Uh, that God, the one for whom nothing is too difficult, would give him the strength to accomplish the mission that he was sent here to accomplish. Uh, so let's, let's read together. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, uh, to stand just a couple of verses we're going to read this morning. The, the, the text will be here on the screen uh, at the front. Uh, if you do not have a Bible with you, John 17, beginning in verse 1, just going to read the first two verses there. And of course, they've just concluded that last supper, uh, the last meal that in the upper room. And the Bible says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven 
and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. There is a lot of theological truth to digest in just those two verses. So let's pray together that the Lord will help us. Father, we do indeed thank you today for being a God who hears and answers prayer. And Lord, I need you today to strengthen me, to sustain me, to, to, to just enable me to convey uh, through this message the truth of this text. Lord, these words are so vitally important. Uh, not only were they important to Jesus in this particular moment in his life, his hour had come. Uh, Lord, his, uh, his arrest was, was imminent. And, and I pray, Father, that we would realize that as we seek to accomplish your will in our own lives, that we, far more than Jesus, need your strength, your guidance, your, uh, your mercy, your grace to accomplish that which you have entrusted to us. And I pray that we would understand that just as you entrusted this great task to Jesus, you have entrusted that great task to us as well. Jesus said, as you uh, sent him into the world, so he has sent us. So I pray that we would not uh, see ourselves as somehow insignificant or our ministry as unimportant. Father, we have a, a huge task that has been given to us. And I pray, Father, that we will approach it with the same gravity that Jesus approached his crucifixion as he prays to you here in this 17th chapter of John. So, so, so teach us, Lord. Encourage us. Strengthen us for that which lies ahead. And we'll give you praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Prevailing through prayer. I'm convinced that really prayer is the way, the only way that we will truly prevail in that which God has entrusted to us. God has, God has given us a ministry. Uh, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He refers to the ministry of Jesus as the ministry of reconciliation which he has now entrusted to us and given us the message of reconciliation, the gospel. And, and just as we learn in Matthew's gospel, we're to take that message of the gospel of Christ Jesus, we're to go into all the world, and we're to proclaim it to all who will listen to us. Uh, it's, a, it's a daunting task, a daunting challenge we have been seeking. And when I say we, the church has been seeking to accomplish this purpose purpose from the very beginning of its existence, preaching there in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And Jesus said to go to the uttermost parts of the world to proclaim this message to every people group on the planet. And we're still making an effort to do just that. And I believe as we seek to do just that, we need to do what Jesus did in this moment and we need to pray. And this was a, this, this prayer, it was a, it was a glorious prayer. I, I chose those words glorious because the word glory is so <clears throat> prevalent in these first couple of chapters. Jesus prays that the Father would glorify him so that he might glorify the Father. This is a, a prayer for glory, a glorious prayer. Let me tell you, church, anytime you bow your head to pray, Anytime you lift your eyes to heaven and you cry out the word Father and then you begin to express your need, your desire, you are engaging in a truly glorious thing. You know, I, I think sometimes 
one of the reasons that we're hesitant to pray or one of the reasons that we don't pray like we should pray or as often as we should pray uh, is because we don't view prayer properly. Prayer is a glorious privilege that God has entrusted to His children. We, through Jesus Christ, have access to the throne room of grace. We have access to all power, to, to wisdom. We have, we have access to, to our Heavenly Father. We can go before Him just as Jesus did, and we can cry out to Him in prayer. And it is a glorious privilege, and we should never see it as anything less. I think sometimes we, we can begin to see prayer as a duty, something that we have to do. Uh, and let me tell you, if that's how you see prayer, you're never going to be a prayer warrior. You're never going to pray much. But if you see prayer for what it is, this glorious <coughs> privilege that God has entrusted to us, His church, uh, I believe you'll, you'll pray more. I believe you'll, you'll spend uh, more effective time in prayer with the Lord. So Jesus, the Son of God, as He approaches the culmination of his ministry, this, 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 this plan of redemption, uh, he prays. And the first thing that we need to see, of course, is this. The, the Bible says that he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. Uh, these words speak of an intimate relationship, all right? an intimate relationship. As Jesus prayed to the Father, He wasn't just praying to some power. He wasn't praying to some uh, abstract force. He wasn't praying to some absentee God. He was praying to His Father. Uh, every time we read those words in John, of course, I, I love John chapter 14, where Jesus is, again, encouraging His disciples not to let their hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house, he says, are many mansions. He begins to talk about heaven, the, the reality of heaven. But he doesn't refer to heaven as heaven. Here, heaven is referred to as heaven. He lifted his eyes to heaven. But again, he uses this intimate term, Father. And let me tell you, this was something that bothered the Jews tremendously. They would never refer to God as Father, at least not my Father, they wouldn't, they wouldn't address him in such personal, intimate terms as Jesus did. Now, they were wrong not to. But Jesus is teaching us here, we have a, we have a heavenly Father who loves us. We have access to this heavenly Father. And, and we, like Jesus, should lift up our eyes regularly to heaven and cry out to our heavenly Father. You know, like the, the psalmist I could only think of that verse, you know, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. That's what I thought of as I, as I read these verses. Perhaps that's what Jesus was thinking of as, as he prayed. The hills uh, of, of his arrest and crucifixion lay before him. And, and there's no doubt in my mind, we, when we read his prayer in Gethsemane, that there was, there was concern. I mean, he prayed there, and the Bible says that, that great drops of sweat filled with blood dripped from his, his face. He was, there, there was a concern. He knew what he was about to face. He knew what was about to be inflicted upon him. And so he lifts his eyes to heaven here, 
and he cries out to his father. He knew that his help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And, and church, let me just say this. Through Jesus Christ, you and I have that same kind of relationship with God. Constant, continual access to the Father. Uh, again, we pray to the one who hears when we cry out to him, who moves in our behalf when we make our requests known to him. So Jesus and we should lift our eyes beyond the hills to heaven and cry out to our heavenly Father. Again, Jesus knew that his Father would hear him. I mean, it, would, it should shock us if there would be any doubt about that, right? Jesus knows as he prays that God's going to hear his prayer. He knew that the Father would act in response to his, his request. We should know the very same thing. God is going to move in response to our request. Jesus knew that the Father wanted him to succeed. I mean, Jesus was praying about accomplishing the very purpose for which God had sent him into the world. When we pray about that purpose that God has given to us through Jesus Christ, we can know that as we pray, God wants us to succeed. It ought to help us as we pray. Jesus had absolute faith that his Father was able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that he asked or imagined. And church, because we are children of God, we too have that intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we can pray with the very confidence that Jesus prays here in John chapter 17. So, first thing we see about prayer, or this prayer, is that Jesus prays from this, this position. There was no doubt in his mind who he was and who his Father was. And let me tell you, as we approach our Heavenly Father... I was with some of my friends last night, and one of the guys was talking about his grandchildren... Um, and he said what is, uh, or used to be a common occurrence in his house is that one of his grandsons uh, would ask his mother for something and she would tell him no. And then uh, the grandson would come to my, my friend, his grandfather, and say, Grandpa, Mom told me no. And, and, and my friend said, well, what have you learned from that? He said, you need to come ask me first. Because <laughs> if, if you ask me, I'll give you what you ask for. <laughs> I feel pretty certain that boy goes to, to my friend from his grandpa now first before he goes to his mom. Church, the very first thing we do, that we should do, when there is a need in our lives, when there is a desire in our heart, go to your heavenly father. Go to him. That's what Jesus did. That's what we should do. The other thing, of course, that's critical here is that Jesus speaks these words, the hour has come. Now, that's not the first time that these words have been used in the Gospel of John. Um, but these words are used relatively, well, few times. Most of the time we're hearing Jesus say, my hour has not yet come. In other words, throughout the course of his ministry, uh, there were those who were growing impatient with the way that things were progressing. And Jesus would say to them, my hour <coughs> has not yet come. But now here, the hour has come. Jesus knew uh, the imminence of redemption. That's, that's what he's praying about. That's the, that's the context in which he's praying. An imminent redemption. The hour had come. The time had now come for Jesus to accomplish God's great plan. Uh, he knew. As he walked from the upper room, as he crossed the Kidron Valley, as he entered the Garden of Gethsemane, even as he prayed, 
to the Father, not my will, but thine be done. He knew that he would soon be betrayed by Judas, one of the twelve, a friend, or at least one who had pretended to be a friend. He would be kissed and betrayed, arrested by the Roman soldiers, mocked, spat upon, beaten. He knew that those soldiers uh, would pull his beard from his face. They would crown him with a crown of thorns, pressing those spiked thorns into his scalp. He knew that very soon nails were going to be driven through his hands and his feet, and that he would be violently lifted up and dropped there on that hill outside of Jerusalem as he hung up on the cross. He knew what awaited him. The hours of suffering, uh, struggling to breathe, thirsty and offered sour wine and vinegar. He knew what was coming. He knew what his disciples would think as he hung there dying. He knew he, he would watch them one by one abandon him. He knew that all of this was coming and that's the context in which he prayed, and in spite of all that he knew, uh, well, the words that he spoke in John chapter 4, verse 34, were still true and rang in his heart and in his mind, no doubt. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was determined to do the thing that God had sent him into the world to do. Let me ask you this, church, are you determined to accomplish the will of God in your life? It's going to take some determination. Accomplishing the will of God is not an easy thing. It's demanding. It takes thought. It takes action. It takes effort on our part. It takes a willingness to grow weary uh, in the work of the gospel. It takes uh, suffering, sacrifice, self-denial, self-control. It takes all of these things that and most of the time, we're just not ready to sign up for. Jesus, in spite of all that he knew awaited him, was determined to do what God had sent him to do, to accomplish his work. And so he cries out to the Father for strength and encouragement. And then notice, this is really the heart of his prayer. I mean, we get it right here at the very beginning of chapter 17. Jesus cries out to the Father. He says, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. We sing about glorifying God. We talk about glorifying God. The Bible says that in everything that we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, we should do it all to the glory of God. And I think sometimes we struggle a little bit with what that means. What does it mean to, to what was Jesus asking God to do? Glorify your Son, that the Son might glorify you. Well, I believe that his words here, this prayer could be paraphrased like this. He was crying out to his father and he was saying, Father, enable me to accomplish your purpose. That's what he meant by glorify me. Enable me to accomplish your purpose. I mean, the word glory is a word that comes from a root word that, that at one time meant, well, it spoke of one's reputation, one's uh, worth. Jesus knew that he was about to die a death on the cross that he would be considered by many accursed by God because of the manner in which he was going to die. But yet he asks the Father to glorify him. And again, I believe that what he's really asking here is, God, give me the strength 
Enable me to accomplish the task that you have set before me. That's what he was asking God to do. Enable me to accomplish your purpose. But there was a reason that he was asking God for that. It, we, we say that in these verses, Jesus is praying for himself. And he is. But, but the motive behind it is the glory of God. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Now, there's nothing wrong, church, with praying that God would help you to succeed in your desire to fulfill his purpose. We need to pray that prayer. We need to ask God to give us strength, to give us wisdom, to guide us, to provide us with the resources that we need to accomplish his purposes in the world. We need to do that. But as we go about accomplishing the purposes of God, as we begin to see some victories in our lives, we need to remember that it's not really about our being glorified in the sense of our being elevated, our being lifted up, our being praised by people all around us. I've seen too many pastors over the years get caught up in their own glory. And their ministry becomes all about that. Living, preaching, so that people will applaud them, give them praise. That wasn't Jesus' prayer here. He wasn't asking for that. He knew that he was about to be humiliated. He was about to die a shameful death. They were going to strip him of his clothing. He was going to hang naked on the cross, beaten, battered. The Bible says that he was hardly recognizable as a man. He was going to, again, have those nails driven through his hands and, and feet and he was going to be displayed <clears throat> with a mocking title, King of the Jews, <clears throat> nailed above his head. He knew what awaited him. And yet he prays, glorify your son. Give me the strength. Help me to endure in order that I might accomplish the task for which you sent me. And again, but the motivation for it. He wasn't just praying for himself. He said that, in order that, for the purpose of, that's what that word means, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus prays to be glorified. Jesus prays to be strengthened, to be enabled, so that he might <clears throat> bring glory to God. Now, what does that mean? What, what, what kind of glory was he wanting to bring to the Father as he hung there on the cross and died for the sins of the world? Why? Well, he's praying that God would enable him to accomplish the purpose for which he had been sent into the world so that the world would see what God was really like. I mean, there's, there's no greater display of the glory of God than the cross of Jesus Christ. There on that cross, God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion are seen. I mean, because Christ, as sent by the Father, was there... Not dying for his own sins, but dying for our sins. The character, the nature of God was seen more clearly in the crucifixion of Jesus and, of course, the resurrection as well than in any other act in the Bible. I mean, that's where we see it. So Jesus is saying, Lord, strengthen me. To accomplish this task so that the whole world might know what kind of God you are. And again, that should be our motivation, church. Strengthen us as we seek to accomplish your purpose, your will for our lives, for our church, 
so that the whole world will know just what kind of God you are. A God of love, a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God of grace, a God of justice, a God who hates sin and yet has mercy on the sinner. That's what Jesus was asking. We should desire to live our lives in such a way that everyone around us, as the scripture says in Matthew, may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Too many times I think we engage in these works so that people might see our good works and we stop there. That should not be our goal. But that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That was Jesus' passion. That was the passion of his heart. That was the the passion of his life to honor and glorify the Father. Uh, It should be ours. As the Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end, the chief purpose of man? Well, it's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So as we begin to to think about this prayer and how it should affect our prayer life, church, we should begin to pray that God would so use us in this life that through our lives, through the events of our lives, that the world around us would see Him and see what a glorious God He truly is. Our passion should be His passion. Glorify us that we might glorify you. And then what I find interesting about this text, of course, Jesus is praying. And this verse 2 says, Use that word since. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, <clears throat> that the Son may glorify you. Since, in other words, in light of the fact that you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, Jesus is praying, knowing as he prays that God has already made provision to answer his prayer. Jesus believed in the sovereignty of God. It didn't keep him from praying. It compelled him to pray. It didn't keep him from laying down his life for the people. It compelled him to do so. You know, there are many in our world today that would say, well, you know, if you just believe that God is sovereign, that everything is in God's control, that everything is going to work out exactly the way God planned for it to work out, then what's the purpose of prayer? That's a foolish question. Jesus knew that God was sovereign. Jesus knew that God was in control. Jesus was confident that God was hearing and was going to answer his prayer, that he was going to succeed in the ministry that had been given to him, and yet he prays. How many verses? 26 verses he prays. A chapter in the Bible, he prays. Jesus knows as he prays that his prayer is in accordance with God's will. Yet he prays. He knows that God is going to allow him to succeed. And yet he prays because he knows that the process that he's about to go through is going to be hard. In spite of the fact that he's going to be victorious. In spite of the fact that he's going to be raised from the dead. In spite of the fact that he's going to ascend and take his throne at the right hand of the Father. He prays. And so should we. And he prays in accordance with God's will, knowing that he's praying in accordance with God's will. What does John say in 1 John 5, 14 and 15? He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Those are words that John is, is, is writing to the church, to us. Jesus was praying in confidence, knowing that he was praying according to the will of the Father. When we pray according to the will of the Father, we too can pray with confidence. And this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. I think another reason we don't pray the way we should is because we don't have that much confidence that God's going to hear us and answer us. Let me tell you, the Bible teaches that when we pray in accordance with God's will, he hears and he answers. So we too can pray with the confidence that Jesus prays with here at the beginning of his high priestly prayer, John 17. And so as he prays, again, knowing that God has already made provision for his success, the very thing that he's asking God to do, God had already made provision for and yet he prays and so should we and I'm going to I'm going to share there's three things here in this verse that God had given to Jesus we're going to see this over and over this whole idea of God giving Jesus giving that which was given we're going to hear those words over and over and over again he said first of all you've given him authority over all flesh God you've given me authority <clears throat> over all flesh that word authority means power all right I think sometimes we think of, of God the Father and, and we immediately think of all power, mighty God, this all-powerful, omnipotent being. Well, let me tell you, God gave all power to Jesus. And of course, in Matthew's gospel at the end, Jesus says, all power has been given to me on heaven and earth. Here, he says, you've given me authority, or him, he refers to himself in the third person here, over all flesh. Jesus had been endowed. God had given him power to accomplish his task. He'd given Jesus power over all of humanity. Jesus knew that he was going to succeed. He knew that he had the power to do what God had sent him to do. What does the Bible say to us? Paul says this in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? You see, as we pray and as we approach the work that God has given us to do, we can pray and approach that work with the same kind of confidence that Jesus did. Now again, God hasn't given us the same kind of authority that he's given his son. But through Christ, Paul says, we can do all things. We too can do that which God has entrusted us to do. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be timid. We can go out there and live boldly for Christ. There was an effectual power. That's, again, that, the idea of that word effectual means the ability to accomplish what I set out to accomplish. God had given Jesus that kind of power. Jesus was going to succeed. He was going to save those that he had been sent to save. That was the reality. Jesus didn't go to the cross just hoping that perhaps down the road somebody might look to him and be saved. Jesus went to the cross knowing that he was going to accomplish a purpose. He was going to save a people. God had given him the power to do that. And an eternal purpose. God had also given him an eternal purpose. And that purpose was to give life to all whom he had given them. Uh, Jesus came to seek and to save, right? That which was lost. To give eternal life to all who would believe in him. 
That was, that was what Jesus came to earth to do. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 6.40 said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And then I will raise him up on the last day. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. God sent his son into the world to give eternal life. And that's indeed what he gives, is it not? He gives us eternal life. God gave him the power to give eternal life. And notice who he gives this eternal life to. This is a, a truth that, that some people struggle with. But he came to give eternal life, he says, to all whom you have given me. He speaks of those that the Father had given him, a chosen, an elect people. God had given Jesus the gift of a people. So church, again, as we pray, as we pursue the purposes of God, we should do so knowing that if we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, received Him as our Savior, we are a part of that gift that God gave to the Father, or that Jesus, God gave to Jesus, His Son. He was going to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. In John chapter 6, verses 37 through 39, Jesus writes very similar words. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. God gave a people to Jesus. And as Jesus approached the cross, his crucifixion, he knew that he was dying there for the people that God had given him and that he was going to succeed in giving them eternal life. Uh, Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. We should be wondering, well, when did all of this happen? When did, when did God choose this people to give to his son? Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 1 that God chose them in him or chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious power. So when did God choose a people to give as a gift to his son? Well, the Bible says before the very foundation of the world. I know it's all kind of hard to take in, isn't it? Again, a glorious prayer, glorious truth that is taught here. If you've trusted Christ, you are among and should consider yourself one of those who God chose to give as a gift to his son. So what do we do in light of this truth? Well, we do what Jesus did. We pray. We ask the father to give us strength, to give us wisdom, to give us courage to sustain us, to empower us, to compel us. And then we go out and we preach. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus came, sent by the Father, to die for the sins of those that God had given him, to pay the price for our sins in order to save us. And we preach that truth with boldness, with conviction, and the reality is, you know what? Most people will reject the message of the gospel. But some whom God had given to Jesus will respond in faith, turning from their sin, receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. So as we begin this series, please remember, prayer is a glorious privilege that God has given to us and that God through Jesus Christ has empowered us, the church, you as his children, to accomplish great things, to accomplish the very purpose for which you were created. And we just need to be as faithful as the Lord was crying out to our Father and trusting Him that provision has already been made. Thank you.